the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When we come to know Christ, whether we're rich or we're poor, we become rich in other things, the things that really matter in this life. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. And now for today's Core Truth, we are picking up in James chapter 2. I entitled this message, Seen and not just heard. See, in life, it's pretty easy to be heard. Just be the loudest one in the room. Yes, those with the biggest mouths seem to be the ones that are heard the most. Some people have set, you know, records with their mouths, by the way, like the world's fastest talking man. Get this, John Moschetta Jr. is able to articulate 586 words Per minute. How did he learn how to talk this fast? Well, they asked John that. He says he was raised with five sisters. So he had to talk fast. And this is his quote here, just to get a word in edgewise, he said. But you know, ladies, the fastest talking man could never out talk the fastest talking lady. Okay, I'm just saying, because that's where Fran Capo steps in. I was watching some of her videos yesterday on YouTube. Okay, this woman has been recorded saying 603 words in 54 seconds. That's like 11 words per second, okay? Could you imagine getting into an argument with Fran, okay? By the time you said, now wait just one minute here, okay? She would have already made her case, refuted everything you had to say, and read two chapters of the Bible to you, okay? (laughs) All in one minute. But uh, on a serious note, it's not how much you can talk. It's what we say when we are talking. It was Ben Johnson that said this quote, to speak and to speak well are two different things. A fool may talk, but a wise man speaks, end quote. Yes, it's not the quantity of the words that matter, but the quality of that which has been spoken. For there are many in life, they wish they could take back certain comments that they made, like politicians. You know, remember former Vice President Dan Quell. Uh, He said this quote, it isn't pollution that's hurting the environment. It's the impurities in our air and our water. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Thank you for clarifying that for us. He also said this quote, if we don't succeed, we run the risk of failure. Yes, we do. Okay. Or what about this when Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses said this? It's really hard, quote, to maintain a one-on-one relationship if the other person is not going to allow me to be with other people, end quote. 
Yep, that's going to be really tough for you. Okay. Or what about when Shaquille O'Neal was asked when he was in Greece if he went to the Parthenon? And he says, quote, I can't really remember the names of all the clubs that we went to. Uh, yeah, talking about the ancient temple there. Okay, well, one thing for sure. When we are heard, sometimes it's not exactly what we wanted people to hear. It's just what came out of our mouth at that moment. And in the same way, our lives can be saying something. Our life, our lifestyle can be saying something completely different than what we really wanted to say. That's why it's been said that a well-timed silence has more eloquence than speech, and that is true at times. And with that thought, we could even go on to say a well-timed action can speak louder than many words. So today, as we continue in our study through the book of James, we will consider how saying nothing can at times be more powerful than speaking. We'll consider three points in light of our title, seen and not just heard. Number one, areas that stumble. There's areas that can stumble people by what we do or do not do. Number two, faith that's obvious. A faith that's obvious is because it's lived out in that person's life. And number three, examples to follow. Do you want to know how to live a life then follows the examples that God has given us in the Old Testament as examples. Well, let's look at our first point here, areas that stumble. As we pick up and read, we finished James chapter one last week. So we'll pick up in chapter two, verse one. He says, now, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and desired and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man with dirty clothes, and you pay a special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, oh, oh, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, will you stand over there or, or sit under my footstool? Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if one does not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow, well, there's a lot there. So let's just dig right in here. Now, notice how James addresses this to all of us believers as he says, my brethren. So, hey, brothers and sisters is what he's saying. You know, and what does he say here? He says, first he says, we're not to have personal favoritism. 
were to never, ever favor one person over another. We're to never favor someone based on the superficial, how they dress, what kind of car they drive, their outward appearance. We're never to judge them on their race or their social status. Yes, favoritism contradicts true faith. If we raise people up in the church based on their social status instead of how God was working in their life, that would be completely wrong for us to do that. Now, some churches do that. Oh, some, you know, some people kind of buy their way into being raised up. But when we pick our elders and, uh, and deacons here at the church, we base it on their past faithfulness in the church. We always look for those that have been serving in the church, those that are working, those that are being used of God. And and what I do as a pastor is I'm just recognizing God's hand on that person when we choose to raise them up. And so, you know, that's what God has called us to do. And so James now here is, is pointing this out, you know, and he gives us examples like, you know, do you ever roll out the red carpet to someone based on their outward appearance? Oh, you know, they got money, so we're going to treat them a little nicer. Giving the best to someone whose heart might not be right over someone with very little outwardly, yet all the while, you know, they could be the one that God wants to do great things in, but they don't have anything outwardly. So you can't base it on what they have or don't have. It's on who does God want to raise up? Know this, whether someone has a lot of money or they have very little, they cannot, that cannot be the deciding factor of how we're treated and how we treat people in raising them up in the church. Everyone must be treated equally in God's eyes. I do find it very interesting how God uses people from all walks of life. He used people like Abraham and Job in the scripture. And those two men ended up being very wealthy men, yet God used them mightily. Yet it never, you know, it never affected who they were having that wealth. They were still used mightily by God. Now, we look at other people like Moses. Now, Moses started out as the prince of Egypt, but yet he lost everything and had nothing for like some 40 years but yet God raised up Moses and he's one of the most mentioned men in the entire Bible. He's mentioned like some 850 times. There are two women in the Bible and they're both former prostitutes that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter one. You're thinking, why are two prostitutes in the genealogy, the bloodline leading down from Adam and Eve and Seth all the way down to the birth of Jesus? You got two prostitutes in there, really? How did that happen? Whoa, that was an accident. No, that was not an accident. That was God doing that on purpose. Why? Why would God have two prostitutes in the genealogy? Because they didn't stay prostitutes. God changed their life. And it's a, it's a message to every single woman. It's to assure every woman that no matter what you did before coming to Christ, no matter what lifestyle you led, you can be forgiven. And God does not look at you as dirty. He doesn't look at you as secondhand goods. You can be used of God. And God can have a great purpose and plan for your life no matter what your past was you can be forgiven. That's the message that it sends. Yes, in the Bible, by God's grace and his mercy, God has raised up and used 
everyone from tax gatherers to blue-collar workers, from the rich to the very poorest, those who were mighty and strong to those who were weak and anemic. What God did was move in them because they all had one thing in common. What was that one thing that they had in common? They had a passion to serve God. That's the common link. And nothing has changed to this day. I wonder if you have a passion to serve God in some capacity. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. What matters is that you are serving and have a willingness to serve in some capacity. In fact, I wonder how many of you have been coming here to this church for quite some time, and yet you're not serving in some capacity here. You need to pray about that. But remember, Jesus wasn't born into a rich family. He could have been. He could have been born into a palace if he wanted to. But God chose to come down to be a man, and he was born into a very poor family. And he was raised in a little town named Nazareth, which would be considered today as a town that was on the wrong side of the tracks. That's why when questioning Jesus, they mocked him and they said, well, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Just like it is today. It's still a city that can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus spent his whole life amongst the poor. He told his disciples that, He had no place to call his own. He says, foxes have holes, but I have no place to call my own. His disciples and friends were mostly poor. I suppose not all of them. I mean, Matthew, you know, he might have had money since he was a tax collector, ripping people off and skimming some for himself. So, of course, you know, he probably had some money. You know, it's amazing how they rip off, different places rip off in taxes a little more than other places. You know, I was watching TV the other day, they were talking about skyrocketing gas prices, and they, they were showing signs from back east, and it was like three twenty-five a gallon. I'm like, oh, poor baby. But one thing for sure is Jesus didn't come from a rich family. You know, he came here and he lived with the poorest of poor. In fact, it's nice to notice here that, you know, when Jesus, you know, when he uh, came from this little town of Nazareth and all this and being mocked and what have you for everything that he did, you know, it's like when he rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, he rode in on what? He rode in on a borrowed donkey, When he ate his last meal in the upper room with the disciples, he ate in a borrowed room. It's like after dying on the cross for uh, the sin of all humanity on his body, he was laid into a borrowed tomb. Yes, God can use the rich and he can use the poor. But understand, the life of a Christian at times can be filled with obscurity. So as Christians, it's like there can be times of great blessing, And then there could be times of obscurity, times of loneliness, and times of hardship. That's why the Bible says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because sometimes we have to go through the valley. Sometimes we have to live in the place of a desert. And some rich people don't want to do that. It's not that a rich person can't get to heaven. It's just many of them will not want to have that pathway. Maybe it's because the rich may trust God at times where the poor must trust God at times. Yes, the rich can find refuge in wealth at times where the poor can only find refuge in the mighty arms of God. 
Yes, Jesus is the ultimate example of complete and total servanthood. God never asked us to serve and do something that he didn't do himself. That's why Jesus told the disciples, I didn't come to to be served, I came to serve. In fact, the ultimate was this. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was in heaven. He was in a place that the streets are made of gold. But yet for your sake, he became poor. He came to this earth. He was born as a man that you, me and you, through his poverty and his death on the cross, that we might become rich and inherit all of heaven because of him. Amen to that. Amen. Yes, when we come to know Christ, whether we're rich or we're poor, we become rich in other things, the things that really matter in this life, and that is life itself. We become rich in salvation. We become rich in forgiveness. We don't have to carry the burden of our guilt and shame any longer. If you carry guilt and shame in your life, it's not because you have to. Jesus carried that for you. We can be forgiven. Now we can walk with joy, regardless of what our financial outlook is, no matter how much money we have in the bank. We can have a joy, we can have a peace, and we can have great hope. Hope for this life and hope for the future. You know, a lot of people don't have that today. That's why we need to have a voice of reason with so many people. I'm driving in this morning, and I'm on the 405 freeway, and I pass by four people that I looked at specifically. They, they looked very young. They were in a car all by themselves, and they had their mask on. And I'm thinking, are you going to give yourself COVID? I mean, you know, it's like, why are you wearing a mask in your car at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, all by yourself. And I'm just thinking like people are walking in fear. They, they, they are like, I could lose my life. I could die. I could, you know, and I'm just like, you know, would you get over it already? I mean, if we die, we die. If we live, we live, but at least live while you're living. I mean, you know, that's my point. But the Christian has hope. We have hope for the future. Hope is an assurance. Hope is a trust. Hope is an expression that no matter what hardships in life come our way, we know who holds our tomorrows. And when we die, we carry the hope of heaven with us all the way into the hands of our Savior. Yes, in verse 8, when we show favoritism, it breaks the law of loving our neighbor as our own selves. And when we do that, we break the law of God. Remember, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he summed up the entire law. He summed up the whole law. Think about it. The Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, you know, Genesis, Exodus, you know, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the the, the Torah, the, the actual law of God, it holds together 613 of the laws. So we, we think of the law of God as the Ten Commandments. Well, that's 10 of the 613 laws. There's 613 laws. But he says, I'm going to sum it all up for you. Here it is. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. He says, love God with everything you have. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. With these two commandments rests the entire law. Because when you look at like the Ten Commandments and you look at all the laws, it either has to do with you sinning against God or you sinning against your fellow man. So it's like, look, I'm not going to go worship any other gods. I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because I love him. See, keep the Lord your God. 
Love him with your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and you won't sin against God. And love your neighbors yourself. If you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to go sleep with their spouse. You're not going to steal their lawnmower, okay? So when you do those two commandments, you cover all of the others. Notice again what it says in James 2.10. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law, but yet you stumble in one point, he has become guilty of all. What? This just blows the whole picture out of everyone's mind because what does most people think if you ask them are you a good person yes i'm a good person oh you're a good person are you going to heaven well i hope so why because i'm a good person but the bible says what if you keep the whole law so forget the ten commandments go back to the 613 laws that are recorded in the bible it's like if you kept 612 of them but you missed 613 you're going to hell it's like what how could you keep 612 of the laws? You, no, he says, if you break one, you've broken them all. How does that make any sense? I thought the good outweighed the bad. You know, it's like, okay, you know, got little boo-boos over here, but I'm good over here, okay? I got the recycled dog, okay? He ate my couch. I didn't kill him, okay? That's got to be worth some brownie points, okay? So all of these things, but it's like, think about it. If you're in your new Porsche and you're going 120 miles an hour down to 10 and you get pulled over, oh, you broke the law. You're speeding. But if you're going 66 miles an hour down the 10, you still broke the law. Now, the chances of you getting pulled over going 66 is pretty slim. Now, you get run off the road because everyone else is going 80. Now, that's a high chance, okay? But, but the point is, it's like you break the law at 66 miles an hour. So what the Bible is saying to you is, it's like once you break the law, you're a transgressor of the law. No transgressor goes to heaven. So some people like are good people, right? I mean, they're just, you know, they, they try to do everything right, but they're still transgressors of the law. So maybe it's just, just a little boo-boo. It's not that big. You're a transgressor of the law. And then there's people like me. I came to Christ. I'm, I'm like, you know, I just had, you know, telephone books where the stuff done wrong. You know, it's like, but it's like, it doesn't matter. Once you're a transgressor, you're a transgressor. Little bit or gigantic, doesn't matter. You're not going to heaven. It's impossible to go to heaven. Wow, that just blows the bubble of so many people. So if we break one of God's laws, we're guilty of breaking them all. For we become again the transgressor. That's why it's simply impossible to get to heaven by good works alone. You can't get to heaven by living according to the law. And let me just get back to the 613 laws. Let me set those aside. Let's just go to the Ten Commandments. I would suggest that no one has even come close to living by the Ten Commandments, no matter how good you are. Because Jesus redefined the commandments. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember what he said? He goes, it's been said, if you commit adultery, you've committed adultery, right? Yes. Well, I've never slept with someone else's spouse. Jesus said, but if you look at another person and you lust after them, you've committed adultery in your heart. <sighs> okay, we're all toast on that. Okay, well, maybe not you, but okay. But anyway, and then he said, and he says, thou shalt not kill. Well, I've never killed anyone, you know, one or two a few times driving down the freeway, but I, I've never killed anyone. It's like Jesus says, but if you hate your brother, you've killed him in your heart. Oh, okay. So even, you know, it's like, so when someone says, I've lived by the Ten Commandments, you're a liar. You're lying right now. It says, thou shalt not lie. Okay. You're lying right there. Okay. No one is getting to heaven by any kind of good works. It's not going to happen. Understand, just going to church, 
living a good life will always fall short of getting to heaven. Again, why? Because we need God's grace. We need his mercy in our lives to forgive us of our sins. That's why this first section ends in verse 13 saying, it's a strong exhortation here. He says, to be merciful to those that are around us because the only way we can get to heaven is by God's mercy in our own lives. Thus, we must be equally willing to show the same mercy in the lives of those that are around us. So let me ask you, is there someone that you know? Is there someone in your life that you are not forgiving? Someone that's double-dogged you, they've done the wrong thing to you, are you not forgiving them? Someone that needs to have you show mercy to them like God showed mercy to you. Is there someone in your life that you need to show that mercy? That's all the time we have for this message. Join us next time for part two. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Court Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Court Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Court Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at courtchurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.